Welcome in everyone to the Football Addicts Anonymous podcast, another Tuesday show, working around our summer schedules here, so, uh, but great to be back. How are you doing, Logan? I'm doing great, my man. How are you? Living the dream, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, we have the final regular season, week 10 of the USFL to recap, we'll preview the two playoff games coming up this weekend, and then uh, we got some USFL news, bunch of NFL news stuff's been going down, and then uh, we'll finish off continuing our eighth round with the AFC North. So I thought uh, before we get into the games, I thought this uh, this weekend was pretty good. Um, last week of the regular season, last week for half of the league teams, uh, their players to make a statement to the NFL teams for this coming season. There's a bunch of guys that did, that's for sure. Um, so we will get into it here. First off, on Saturday. Uh, Generals, 26-23 win against the Stars. They finish up at 9-1. and one, uh, Playoff preview like we talked about last week. And uh, it was a good one. It was a very good game. Case Cookus, um, hard to complain about his stats. Not a great completion percentage, but, um, you know, not terrible. And... The issue is he didn't get help from the ground game. Matt Colburn, only 39 yards on 10 carries. So that was probably the biggest issue. But Bug Howard had a great day. 5 for 101 for the Stars tight end there. Off six targets. But Louis Perez, uh, the two quarterbacks for the Generals, great games by them. Uh, Louis Perez uh, pushing 80% completion, three touchdowns. Barely any yards, though. I know Chris, if he were here today, he would he would uh, probably be looking at that, the uh, completions to the yards ratio. But, um, yeah, it was a great, great game. And uh, the Generals now have some momentum heading into this rematch here uh, coming up this weekend. Yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about my general's uh, prediction as we're heading into the playoffs here. Yeah, and I believe this was uh, the Stars had a chance at the end. They scored a touchdown, and then they missed the three-point conversion. Uh, Case Cook just got picked off on three-point three-point conversion but then they come around they they converted the alternative kickoff fourth and 12 from your own uh 33 yard line they uh they (laughs) if it fell incomplete but there was an illegal use of hands on a general's corner uh i believe his first name's david i might be wrong but rivers the corner for New Jersey. Illegal use of hands to the face. Five yards, automatic first down. So they converted 
that fourth and 12 there. And then they really didn't get far. Uh, they got to the... Actually, they, they got to the Jersey 35 um, with 109 left. And then uh, Cookus got pressured, threw a deep ball. Shalom Luani picked him off. So it's a good game, though, uh, like I've been saying. Defensively, I am going with Shalom Luani. He's been great all year for the Generals. Uh, six tackles, five of them solo, a pick, and three pass deflections. Also got a shout-out, Trey yeah, Williams. That's a, yeah, that's a really good stat line from uh, Shalom. Yeah, also got a shout-out, Trey Williams. 11 carries, 114 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, most of that coming on a 61... Yard score? Yes, 61-yard touchdown run. The Generals covered minus 2.5 over 41.5. Stallions getting it done. They go to 9-1. and one. Another close one. Saturday. Saturday was a really, really good day for the, uh, the two games we had. 21-18 win over the Bandits. I was disappointed, you know, Tampa's my team. I wanted them to get to 500 and on a good note. Couldn't get it done. Birmingham's defense was too good. This is really defense all day um, in this game. It came down to the end, though. Uh, Jordan Ta'amu drove him down to the Birmingham 49, and then they couldn't convert a... Uh, fourth and 11 so they got close to tying it could not get it done i believe this was the game where let me make sure yeah this was the game this should have been tied this should have more than likely went to overtime uh jordan taamu had a wide open Derek dillon in the back of the end zone for a three-point conversion and he got the ball to him, but Dylan just lost all spatial awareness. Didn't get his feet down uh, <clears throat> on the on the back line. So that's why this was a three point game. But Jordan Taamu finishes up. He was your USFL passing yards leader. Um, He ended 2014 passing yards. Uh, so, a little over 200 yards per game, which isn't terrible. It's not, you know, the NFL numbers. But still, uh, in the first season where guys were trying to get going, I thought it was pretty good. And uh, Magoo. Magoo has been pretty decent for the Stallions as of late. Now, the Stallions did lose the turnover battle. They lost 4-2, uh, to two, I believe, was the turnovers in this one. Um, but it didn't matter. Their defense is good enough at the end. Got it done. But I think Tampa's big issue... I feel like I've said this every single week when I talk about the Bandits. They can't run the ball. Jordan Tomu was once again the leading rusher for the team. Um, and they just they cannot run the ball. So Todd Haley's got to figure that out. 
for next season. Um, we'll see what they do spring 2023. Um, but yeah, even though D Dylan draw, uh, didn't get the feed in there, he did have a great game otherwise. Four for 94, a touchdown. Most of that, though, just like I said, Trey Williams had a 61-yarder last game. Derek Dillon caught the longest touchdown pass of the season, 75 yards from Jordan to Amu. A um, couple guys we haven't seen on the stat sheet this season. Uh, Sage Sherratt for the Stallions, 3 for 60. He was their leading receiver in this one, off five targets. And then Hasis Dubois, uh, 4 for 36 on eight targets for these uh, bandits in this game as well. Richard Davis chipped in a 74-yard punt return touchdown, the second one of the season um, in terms of punt return touchdowns. And then the stats, man, the defense, Anthony Butler put in a game for Tampa Bay. 15 tackles, 11 of them solos, a tackle for loss, a pick, and a pass deflection. Yeah, it's, it's interesting seeing Sage Sherratt's uh, name there because it wasn't too long ago that I remember seeing him in the uh, in the uh, draft pool. Uh, I was surprised mm -hmm. when he went undrafted. Uh, and I think it's really interesting that now he's listed at tight end. Uh, when he's coming out, he was, you know, trying out as a wide receiver. Yeah, I know, I know that uh, that was reported that he was switching to tight end. Uh when he first went undrafted. I don't remember who he signed with initially. I believe it was Washington. Uh, I might have been wrong. I might be wrong, but that sounds like it's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I knew he was switching to tight end, but yeah, first time on the board for us anyways. Uh, the Bandits did cover, though. Plus three and a half. Get the hook there. And then uh, under 41 and a half. Uh, by a couple. Now, these two games were good. But uh, this game right here, the first game on Father's Day Sunday, was the only game that actually mattered this weekend. Because, as Moose Johnson, who is the executive vice president of football operations for the USFL, he put out a statement, this game, the winner got the number one overall pick in the 2023 USFL draft. Not the losers. <laughs> the team with the worst record will not draft first. It's the team that wins the game of the teams with the worst two records. So the Panthers got it done, and Paxton Lynch looked like a freaking pro bowler. I mean, he was fantastic in this game. 73%, 275, three touchdowns. He threw one pick, but that's besides the point. Uh, yeah, Paxton was absolutely outstanding. Uh, and that's really, that's my takeaway from this game, is Paxton Lynch. Uh. Elway's going to bring him back. He's going to find a way to keep <laughs> him on the roster. Uh, but yeah, uh, the the Pittsburgh Maulers continue to be just absolutely terrible. Um I don't even know if they're playing. If if Garrett Groshek, your boy's on the team anymore, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's tough. But yeah, I, again, the team that set out to run the ball 
from the beginning of the season, Kirby Wilson's offense was not able to the entire season. Uh, I think it's partly because of who they had running it, and I think it's partly because they probably didn't draft good enough offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, James Gilbert, who we haven't seen yet this season for Pittsburgh, he was the leading rusher for them on the day, 26 yards on 11 carries, 2.4 per. I mean, Michigan couldn't run it very much either, but at least Stevie Scott got over four yards per carry, pushing four and a half. He also did a lot of damage in the receiving game, three receptions, 66 yards for Stevie Scott. Um, Roland Rivers had a, had a pretty decent day. Um, Vad Lee wasn't good, that good anyways. Um, but Roland Rivers was pretty good. And I, I said that before. I thought Rivers really gave them the best chance <clears throat> after, you know, Josh Love flamed out with them early on in the season. And then they had uh, Vad Lee they picked up. He wasn't that great. But I thought Roland Rivers was pretty good. Um, Delvin Hardaway for the Maulers. Six for 100 on nine targets here. Had a bunch of guys score touchdowns. Lance Lenore scoring one. Marcus Bra- Marcus Ball uh, scored a touchdown. So did Matt Sabert here. Two guys we haven't heard of this season. And then defensively, a lot of stats here. But uh, I have to go with the touchdown. You know, I'm in, I'm impartial to defensive touchdowns. Safety Corey Rahman. Uh, for the Panthers, five tackles, three of them solos, and a 63-yard fumble returned for a touchdown. Yeah, it's the Maulers just never really put it together, and it feels like their identity, you know, was kind of pounding the rock. But, I mean, when you can't pound the rock, <laughs> you know, I, I always think that, like, the mark of a good coaching staff is, like, you know, understanding your personnel a little bit and like being adaptable, you know, at some point you just gotta <laughs> abandon ship a little bit. And yeah. as much as I love my boy, Garrett Groshek, you know, by his like last two seasons at Wisconsin, I mean, he was in like a hybrid fullback role. Like they never really used him as a feature back. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I uh, think he's definitely a fullback. Yeah, so I mean that's I guess that's how you end up one and nine. Well, and it just it never seemed like Pittsburgh put together a, a decent roster. Um, I I can't really remember all the way back to the when we were previewing week one, um, but I mean they have some guys defensively, especially they have some players. You see Kiava Tazino, he was great for them all season. Uh, Carlo Kemp as well, very good uh, for them. Blaze Aldridge getting on the statue for the first time this season, I, I believe, for us. Um, but yeah, I really, offensively, it felt like Bailey Gaither was their only, their only real star, and he's not even on here, so... Uh, the Panthers covered minus two and a half over 42 and a half easily. And like I said, they claimed the number one overall pick in the 2023 USFL draft. 
It's gonna be interesting to see how they how they draft going forward uh, and who they draft because it's like you know when is their draft too? <laughs> that's, a, that's a question mark. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not gonna be able to draft players that are coming out because yeah. why would they go to you when they're coming to the NFL potentially? Right. I feel like there'll be major players in, you know, I guess you can't really say undrafted free agents because those guys would much rather just sign on to a team, even if it's practice squad. Um, yeah, I don't know. Because wasn't it for their draft this year? Didn't they also do it kind of weird where, like, one round was, like, one position? Yeah, I think it's going to be more standard going forward okay. where it's just like, yeah, we're drafting whoever we want. Um, I don't know if it's going to be like the NFL draft where you have to apply. I would think not. Mm. Uh, but I think it's going to be closer to what we see the CFL do because they draft players that are not really on the NFL's radar. Um so it's it's tough. You gotta you gotta scout harder and scout mm-hmm. you know more closely to to teams and look at players that people aren't looking at. So maybe we gotta slide in the DMs of the the Maulers and the Panthers. <laughs> <laughs> See if they need any scouts. Yeah, uh, I think the I think Pittsburgh will definitely need some. Uh, all right, last game here. A shocker, the only upset of the weekend, which I was disappointed about because I had money on it. Uh, the Gamblers twenty to three over the Breakers. Gamblers, they end the season two game win streak uh, against two playoff teams. Beat the Stallions last week. Beat the Breakers this week. Um, granted. Granted, this comes with an asterisk. They didn't play anyone. The Breakers played zero people. Uh, that's why there's a million different new names that we haven't seen on here. Because the Breakers rested most of their guys. Uh, including the number one player for the Breakers. Their quarterback, Kyle Sloter, did not play in this game. Uh, I believe he was dealing with uh, some injury issues as well but they just didn't want him to get banged up any more than he already was going into next week but kanji bahar uh it was just terrible offense there was no offense in this game this game should have ended six to three (laughs) but we had two touchdowns one on defense one on special teams for houston that's that was the difference um yeah shea patterson looked terrible zach smith looked terrible um Smith got the start, threw two picks, and then uh, Larry Fedora was like, nope, you're, Shea, you're in. <laughs> so, yeah, Kenji Bahar was, was bad. Uh, LeMay was pretty good, I guess, for Houston. New Orleans couldn't run the ball at all. And I got to the point I was watching the game. I'm like, why, why are you even running it still? You, you haven't been effective all game. Just throw the ball. I know you probably can't protect Shea Patterson because he was getting pounded a lot in the game too. But just throw it. 
do some screens or something. Um, but yeah, they, they couldn't run the ball at all. Uh, and then, um, yeah, the receiver stats are just terrible. Uh, <laughs> Redding and Johnny Dixon were the leading receivers. Now, um, Dixon was not the leading receiver. Not, he was just the leading wide receiver. I like to put him. The leading receiver in the game for the Breakers was Anthony Jones there. Three receptions for 16 yards for the running back. There was another running back that had more yards than Johnny Dixon as well. I believe 14 receiving yards was the next guy. But uh, Dixon, the first wide receiver or tight end on the receiving yardage list. And yeah, defensively, you see... A lot of numbers here. Going to shout out three guys, three at the bottom. Uh, Donald Payne. I mean, he's making an NFL roster. Most definitely. Leading tackler on the season for the USFL. Uh, He put up just crazy numbers. 117 tackles in 10 games. That's ridiculous. Uh 11.7 tackles per game. That's crazy. Um, That's good in a 17-game season. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, w- nine tackles, seven solos, a uh, tackle floss, a pass deflection, and a 12-yard pick six. Um, I'm going to skip the next guy. We'll come back to him. And then defensive back Jeremiah Johnson, who I don't think we've seen before on the stats. Uh, he had one tackle, a pass deflection, a pick, but he also had a 77-yard blocked field goal returned for a touchdown. Uh, so, yeah. There was that. And then defensive end Chris Odom. This is another guy that's going to make... It's going to get a shot with the NFL team. Five tackles, two of them solos, uh, one and a half sacks, a tackle for loss, and a block. He blocked that field goal. That was his fourth block of the season. Four blocks! In 10 games. That is ridiculous. I mean, talk about making your, your name on special teams. That's how, you, that's how you make an NFL roster right there. Yep. But, yeah, that uh, that is my spiel on this game anyways, if you had anything else, Logan. No, I just... I, I think that, and I think we'll get into this a little bit with the uh, the playoff previews, but I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, I get the strategy if your quarterback's banged up uh, anyways, and you're not going to play them, so you know you probably won't win. So you just it may be better to just sit your guys. But we this always comes up in the NFL, you know, when teams have already clinched their spots in the playoffs, mm-hmm. week 17, sit your guys, don't sit your guys. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if any of that um, talk goes on here with the Breakers, uh, especially considering who they're facing uh, in the next uh, round here. Yeah, I would have thought they would have wanted to play and play to win uh, to get that momentum going into mm-hmm. face the stallions the best team all season so uh before we get into the usfl playoff preview here i want to mention that uh all players on non-playoff teams are eligible now 
right after the last game on Sunday, finished this game. All non-playoff team players eligible to sign with any NFL teams. I haven't heard of any um, yet. I mean, we're only two days two days out from the season ending, so um, we'll see if any of these non-playoff teams players get picked up or not. And like I said, so let's go over uh, the stat leaders that ended the regular season here. So like I said, Jordan Ta'amu, we'll go top five at each, I guess, real quick. Uh, and just highlight the non-playoff guys that have a chance of getting signed right now. Uh, Jordan Ta'amu, like I said, I think he struggled a little bit this season. Uh, 2014 passing yards. He was 7th in completion percentage, only 57%. So it wasn't that great. But 2014 passing yards. Um... Led the league in touchdowns, 14 passing touchdowns. But he also led the league in picks with 12. So, there's that. But I think he's good enough. I, I think he got a chance prior. I think he signed with someone uh, after his XFL days. Uh, with the St. Louis Battlehawks. I think he signed with someone. I believe it was the Chiefs. Yeah, it was the Chiefs. Um, didn't Wasn't able to make it there. But uh, So, yeah, we have uh, Kyle Sloter, who will play in the playoffs, 1,798 passing yards. Uh, Jamar Smith, we'll see in the playoffs, 1,573. Case Cookus, we will see in the playoffs, 1,334. And then Louis Perez, 1,200 passing yards as well who we will see in the playoffs so yeah i mean for the top five we'll see in the playoffs jordan tomu the only one in the top five passing yards we'll be looking at to see if he signs anywhere um that is the same with passing touchdowns except that clayton thorson was tied for third at 10 touchdowns so uh, I think he is a guy that we could see. I, I thought he was pretty good early, got injured, um, never came back. They continued to start Kenji Bahar. So um, I think Clayton Thorson is a guy we could see back in the NFL. He's been in the NFL for a couple years there with the Giants and Eagles and Cowboys. Uh, okay, and then... Rushing yards, Jordan Ellis of the Breakers. He finished the season as your rushing yards leader, 596 rushing yards. Um, Trey Williams for the Generals, 579. Darius Victor also with the Generals, 577. Very close uh, race there between those two with the best rushing team in the USFL, as we know. Um Reggie Corbin is a guy that I will think will get picked up by someone that needs running back depth. 519 for him for the uh, Panthers this season. Mark Thompson. I'm not sure what happened to Mark Thompson. I, I would have to think he got injured uh, with the Gamblers because uh, 463 in nine games. Uh, Reggie Corbin only played eight for the Panthers there. So 519 in eight games is pretty good for him. Uh, but, yeah, Mark Thompson, not only nine games played, 463, though. He finished fifth uh, as your rushing yards top five there. 
Rushing touchdowns wise, uh, I believe it's uh, a bunch of the same guys. Uh, Darius Victor finished the season nine rushing touchdowns at the top. Matt Colburn, eight with Philadelphia. Um, third place was CJ Marable, who we'll see in the playoffs with the Stallions. He finished with five. And then uh, two guys tied for four, Jordan Ellis with the Breakers uh, with four. And actually the quarterback, uh, DeAndre Johnson for the Generals, finished tied for fourth in rushing touchdowns with four as well. Uh, another quarterback, yeah, actually. Crazy. Yeah, another quarterback. The Generals have like three dudes who can like <laughs> be like super good rushers. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. There's another quarterback that tied for uh, tied for sixth there, the next place down, um, with three rushing touchdowns. Alex Magoo, uh, three rushing touchdowns, tied for sixth. Let's. I just want to check this real quick because it's interesting that they put this category on the stats. They have a hundred plus rushing yard rushing uh, games, and that is not right. I don't know why they. You can put that when they're... I know there was definitely a couple guys that had 100-plus yards rushing. Like, we saw Trey Williams had one. So, I don't know why they put that category on there, Fox Sports, and you don't fill it up. Uh, But anyways, receiving yards leader, crazy. This guy came on, I feel like, the last maybe three, four weeks, probably. Kevontae Turpin. He led the league in receiving yards, 540. Um... For Turpin and the Generals. Lance Lenore for the Panthers, 484. Um, Marlon Williams, who we'll see in the playoffs with the Stallions, 474 in nine games. Uh, Victor Bolden, also with the Stallions, 415 in nine games. And then to finish it up, uh, the Breakers, Jonathan Adams, 406, finishing fifth there. Those were the only guys with over 400 yards receiving this season so Lance Lenore the only guy able to get signed right now I don't know I don't know what his prospects are the uh I forgot to say the rushing yard oh no I did say Reggie Corbin I think should get signed uh Matt Colburn I'm not so sure he scored, but wasn't in the top five in rushing. So he was, I believe, he was sixth though. He was close. Uh, receiving touchdowns. Let's see who we had at the top of that category. Uh, Isaiah Zuber for the Gamblers. Five touchdowns alone at the top uh, in nine games. Then we had a boatload of guys with uh, four. One, two, three, four, five. We had six guys tie for second place with four receiving touchdowns. Bug Howard with the Stars, who scored this, uh, didn't score this past weekend, but had a 100-yard game. Uh, Johnny Dixon, receiver for the Breakers. Kevontae Turpin, like I said, for the Generals. Bailey Gaither. With the Maulers, he only played seven games, scored four touchdowns. Uh, Derek Dillon with the Bandits. And Marlon Williams with the Stallions in nine games, scoring four times. Uh, 
So Zuber, he was I don't I don't know. I feel like his his stock took a downward turn when Thorson went down, and he he kept going, but he wasn't the same without Clayton Thorson. Um, Howard I thought was pretty decent. He wasn't considered the number one tight end in in the league, but uh, maybe he was you know two or three. And then other non-playoff... Bailey Gaither, like I said, I love Bailey Gaither. I don't know why. Bailey Gaither, I just... I don't know. He has a great name, and uh, I thought he was pretty good in the seven games we saw him. And then finally, Derek Dillon. Pretty decent receiver. I think you could see him slide into some team if they need depth fifth or sixth guy on the roster. As far as, oh, do we want to talk kickers? Because we can. <laughs> there's only one kickers guy. Matter too. There's only there's <laughs> only one dude. There's only one guy. Brandon Albury. I mean, what a whirlwind for him, playing a whole season. I mean, he's not even eligible to get signed yet because he plays for the Stallions. But I, I mean, he paced the field easily in kicking points. Seventy six points. This season, um, I don't know what, on average, how many points kickers score in a game, but I would have to think that Brandon Aubrey scoring set scoring a touchdown by himself every game uh, is pretty good when you're talking about a kicker. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. Never played football. Never played professional football ever. Uh, comes in from the MLS, and just knocking them through left and right. Um, Nick Vogel for the Gamblers. He was second with 66 points. Uh, Ramiz Ahmed, I think, should get a shot somewhere. Uh, The long-range bomber, uh, Ramiz (laughs) Ahmed, was um, 49 points for him. Luis Aguilar for the Stars, 43 and then three guys tied for uh, fifth there. Tyler Rousa with the Bandits, 42. Taylor Bertolette with the Breakers, 42. And Cole Murphy with the Panthers, 42 points. But yeah, I think Ahmed, out of the non-playoff guys, Ahmed will get a shot, definitely. And then whenever the Stallion season is over, Brandon Aubrey most definitely deserves a shot. At the NFL level. Um, I don't really put too much st- stock into kick and punt return yards. I don't know if you do. No. I mean, unless, like, one guy really stands out, in which case, you know, obviously he will be potentially carve out a role for himself, but... Yeah, we had two guys over uh, over seven hundred yards um, on twenty five and twenty six returns, kick return wise. Maurice Alexander, wide receiver for the Stars, seven hundred eighty seven kick return yards, twenty five returns. Uh, that puts him at thirty one and a half average. So that paced the field thirty one and a half. 
Um, and then Cam Eccles, looper, wide receiver for the Generals, 748 on 26 kick returns, 28.8. That was a far and away second, uh, four yards better than the next guy. So I don't, I don't really know what the average is for the NFL. I would have to think it, you know, 25, 20 to 21 to 25. Yeah. Because of the moved up kick spot and the fact that you get touchbacks at the 25 yard line now on kickoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of punt returns, uh, yeah, Rashard Davis was the guy. Uh, 224 for the Bandits uh, on 22 punt returns. Only 10.2 average, so not the greatest. Uh, he all, I mean, he had the most returns. By just one, though. Victor Bolden was second uh, with 21 returns anyways. But Rashard Davis had 50 more yards of punt return than uh, Davis did. Or Bolden, I mean. So. I don't know. I would probably say the guy to look at there is Cavante Turpin. Uh, 12 punt returns, 184 yards, 15.3 average. Granted, he had a return touchdown. So did Rashard Davis, though. So I guess if you take that out, Turpin's definitely your guy. Maybe. I uh, actually, maybe, I don't know. I think <laughs> punt returns are a lot harder to look at <laughs> than, than kick returns there. No one had a kick return touchdown. We didn't see one of those. We did have two punt return touchdowns, like I said. Uh, Rashard Davis and Cavante Turpin. Uh, Davis was 74 yards, Turpin 71. Your interception leader by two, Channing Stribling, corner for the Stars. Uh, I think he'll get a shot, definitely. Uh, I mean, when you get seven interceptions in ten games, um, it's pretty decent. (laughs) Yeah, that'll play. Uh, Shalom Luwani for the Generals. He ended up with five. Uh, Will Likely with the Gamblers, a corner. He uh, had four. And then uh, Donald Payne, who we talked about with the Gamblers, linebacker, he had three. And then a bunch of guys had two. Uh, Your, let's see. Touchdowns-wise, though, Donald Payne led the way with two pick sixes. He was also your tackles leader. Like I said, 117. That was 27 more combined tackles than the next guy. (laughs) Frank Ginda was your second place guy with 90 tackles for the Michigan Panthers. Uh, Two guys tied for third with 86. Uh, Gerard Fernandez with the Breakers, and Chiava Tizino with the Maulers. And then in fifth place, also with the Gamblers, Reggie Northrup, 81 tackles. Um, it looks even worse for the rest of the field and better for uh, Donald Payne when you look at solo tackles. <laughs> 71 solo tackles. <laughs> mm. Um and that was 
15 more than the next guy. Chiava Tizino, second place with 56 solos. So, yeah. He can do it by himself if he needs to. <laughs> uh, and then your leading sacker, Chris Odom. What a season for him. Uh, we just talked about him. Twelve and a half sacks this season. Mm. That's good in a, in a regular NFL season. Yep. So That's uh, more than good, yeah. Yeah. He got it done, like I said, also can block field goals with four. Um, Adam Rodriguez for the uh, Stars. He was in second place with nine, also a very good number. Um, DeMarquis Gates with the Stallions, six and a half in third place. Uh, my guy Davin Bellamy with the Breakers, five and a half. I was disappointed with him. Uh, came out, he had three sacks in the in week one. I believe it was. Maybe it was week two. But regardless, he had three sacks in one game early on and only has two and a half the rest of the season. That's very disappointing on his end. And then uh, Carlo Kemp with the Maulers and Reggie Howard Jr. with the Breakers. They both tied for fifth with five sacks. Kemp also, you know, he had two sacks in the regular season finale, three the rest of the season. So... But Odom and Rodriguez, those are the guys there. Odom's definitely going to get a chance somewhere. Um, your points leader was Jordan Tahamu. He scored 90. All-purpose yards. I think this is better than looking at punt and kick return yards here. But your all-purpose yards leader, Victor Bolden, uh, 1,209 all-purpose yards. That's uh, 134.3 per game led the way uh actually did not lead the way well he led the way with guys that played enough games <laughs> technically tj logan was the <laughs> leader in uh all-purpose yards per game he only played two games for the breakers 100, 140 and a half yards per game though for tj logan maurice alexander with the stars 1183 that's 118 and a half per game uh, Trey Walker with the Maulers, 1,007 yards, 125.9 per game. Kevontae Turpin, 921, that's 92.1. And then uh, Reggie Corbin, 866, that's uh, 108.3 yards per game. Um, yeah, net punt, net average punting. Uh, we only had 10 punters. But Brandon Wright for the uh, Bandits led the way, 41.1. Really, there were only two guys that really put up NFL-level numbers. Brandon Wright and uh, Matthew Carrizosa with the Panthers, 40.5 net punt average. That's really the only guys I can talk about because, like I said, 40 is like your bare minimum you want in the NFL so mm-hmm. and yeah then then it's all the team stats so those are your stats leaders uh did I say the uh I don't think I said the uh spread and the over under of this game 
The Gamblers plus three and a half covered under forty one and a half easily. USFL playoff preview. So we have on Saturday in Canton, Ohio, the site of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, at Tom Benson Field. The six and four Philadelphia Stars against the nine and one New Jersey Generals. The Generals are a four and a half point favorite. Uh, the total is over under forty seven and a half. Crazy big, I feel like for this game, but it could get there possibly. Um, Philly scores twenty six point two per game. But they gave up twenty four point three. So I don't know. I, I think I think it's gonna be the generals. I would say though the generals give up almost two hundred passing yards per game. We've seen how good Case Cookus can be. I would just caution the generals defense to play pass defense (laughs) not worry as much about the run i mean they do have matt colburn but he's not been that effective sixth in rushing yards in the regular season and they only average 103.4 per game that is what i would caution the generals i am picking the generals though i would say that they are on upset alert from these stars though i like it Uh, 3 p.m. on Fox. And then we have a Trace Atkins concert <laughs> in the middle, uh, which is going to be fun. I hope they I hope they keep the channel on so I can watch the Trace Atkins concert in between the games. That'd be cool. Um, and then we get to the last game. The 6-4 New Orleans Breakers. Against the nine and one Birmingham Stallions, the Stallions are a five point favorite. So it's pretty big spreads uh, for playoff games. Five point favorite for the Stallions. Over under is forty four and a half. And like you said, we'll see what the repercussions of sitting guys last week does to the breakers if they come out groggy or not um the stats are actually pretty even um yeah the fox sports on the previews they put out six categories of stats points per game pass yards rush yards per game and then opponents points per game opponents pass rushing yards it's three and three uh the Jersey Philly game was four and two to to the Generals, but it's pretty close um, in terms of passing yards, points allowed. Those are two that are really close. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. What are you, what do you think? What do you think about this one? You know, you you put. The generals on upset watch 
in the other game. I'm going to put the Stallions on upset watch here, and I am going to go. We're going to shock the world, and we're going to go with the Breakers, pulling it out over the Stallions. Um, you know, I just think that playoff time comes around. Quarterback play matters a little bit more. Like the Breakers pull it out. Yeah, I would I would definitely give the uh the edge in quarterback play to the Breakers. Um even if you combine Alex Magoo and Jamar Smith together for Birmingham, uh, I think I think Sloter uh, can get it done in that retro in that respect, but um Yeah, with it being so close, uh Birmingham is it's the same way. Birmingham gives up more passing yards allowed uh, by about 10 yards than uh, the Breakers do. And I I think I'm going to go with Birmingham. I'm just going to put the two best teams in the championship. Be boring. Uh, (laughs) But Birmingham, beside the blip against Houston two weeks ago, I don't think there was much stopping them. It's going to be interesting to watch, though. This game, no home field advantage. There are going to be however many fans there are going to be. You know, I think it's. I think this game is going to be fun too because I don't know if they're allowing. Like, I would think if you bought a playoff ticket. I, don't, so I just don't know how it's going to work with the concert being there. Because it's like, mm. there are people in the stadium already. Mm. What if they don't have a concert? You know, I don't know if they sell a ticket for game one. They sell tickets for the concerts and they sell tickets for the last game. Or if, like, if you buy one ticket, you get the concert in there. Or if you buy one ticket, you get, like, everything that whole day. Yeah. I feel like it's got to be packages. And I feel like there'd be two packages. One, you get all three. And then one, maybe you get to pick one of the games and the concert. That would be my guess. Yeah, because that's what I was thinking in this game. It's like, well, maybe you'll have holdovers from the concert that will be there and watch the game after. So maybe there will be more people for this game than there will be the first game. Uh, but yeah, the first game at 3 o'clock on Fox, and then uh, this game 8 p.m. on NBC. I'm going with the Generals and Stallions. Logan's rolling Generals and Breakers. See who's right there. Uh, USFL News. We have the all-USFL team... For the first season back here. Um, quarterback, we just talked about him. Kyle Sloter of the Breakers. Running backs, uh, Darius Victor for the Generals. Reggie Corbin for the Panthers. Wide receivers, Victor Bolden Jr. for the Stallions. Uh, and Cavante Turpin for the Generals. Tight end, uh, Sal Canella. With the breakers, like I said, tight ends really weren't that big of a, a factor in in the uh, regular season there. 
Offensive tackle, Terry Poole of the Generals. Offensive guard, Cameron Hunt with the Stallions. Center, Jared Thomas with the Breakers. Uh, the other guard, Garrett McGinn, the Generals. And offensive tackle, uh, Jaron Jones with the Bandits. Defense, defensive end, Chris Odom with the Gamblers. D-tackles Reggie Howard Jr. of the Breakers and Toby Johnson of the Generals. Defensive end Davin Bellamy of the Breakers. Linebackers DeMarquise Gates uh, with the Stallions. Donald Payne with the Gamblers and Gerard Fernandez with the Breakers. Corner Channing Stribling of the Stars. Safeties uh, Shalom Luwani the Generals. Bryce Tornadin with the Maulers, and the other corner will likely with the Gamblers. So like I said, that's a pretty good list of players. Uh, maybe we see all these guys get chances uh, with NFL training camp teams here coming up in July. I think the strongest is definitely on defense. Uh, the linebackers specifically. Granted, I'm impartial to linebackers, considering that's where I played in high school, uh, my final season. But yeah, DeMarquise Gates, Donald Payne, Gerard Fernandez, all fantastic. Like I said, Chris Odom, I think, deserves a shot. Davin Bellamy could. Stribling, Luani, and Will Likely. I like all those three. I didn't see too much uh, offensive line play. I didn't hone in on it too much. So I'm not too sure about those guys, but I would think uh, the two Jersey guys, Terry Poole and uh, Garrett McGinn, will get shots considering they were on the number one rushing attack. Uh, Ravens will probably look at those two guys. And then uh, Turpin, he's small, 5'8", I believe. But uh, he should be a gadget-type guy. And then uh, Reggie Corbin, Darius Victor, Kyle Sloter. I like all those guys there. <laughs> Keep moving. Looking at this list, is there anyone you feel like got snubbed or got left off? Um. Yeah, I mean... I. I didn't think necessarily, like I, I kind of mentioned about Davin Bellamy, um, only five and a half sacks after a three-sack game, three game early on in the season was disappointing, but I guess uh, the voter, I don't really know who, who voted on this list. Um, I don't know if it was just the players or if it was a combination of the players and other voters, but... You know, Adam Rodriguez finished second in sacks with nine. I felt like he deserved a chance. Um, other than that, I was kind of surprised uh, Bryce Tornadin made it for the Maulers. I don't know if that's what they were going for, was to get one player from each team at, at the very <laughs> minimum, because they did that. They put Jaron Jones on for the Bandits. Um, if they would have put two teams together, 
I would have kind of liked that better because you would have been able to see a lot more players. But with only one team, like, you know, Jordan Thomas, like I said, I, I keep bringing him up, but passing yards leader in the, he got over 2,000 in 10 games. So, yeah, I thought, I felt like the offense was kind of hit or miss. Um, the running backs, though, was interesting. Darius Victor, I, yeah, he was good. He might not be the best player on, on his own team, though. Trey Williams, like I said, had more yards than him, but Victor scored more touchdowns. Um, and Reggie Corbin scored a lot, only finished fourth in rushing yards. I Like I said, I don't know what happened to Mark Thompson. I thought Mark Thompson would have been a great, great player on here for the Gamblers. Um, and then receiving yards-wise, Victor Bolden is a guy that I really didn't notice too much. But he had the stats to back it up. Fourth in receiving yards. Um, and he really, he didn't score. He didn't score much. Uh, did he score at all? Victor. Bold. I don't. I don't even know. Finished third in receptions. One t- he only scored one touchdown. Though. That's that's my issue with Victor Bolden. Yeah, you're getting a lot of yards, but you can't score. Elite Turpin scored four times. Mm-hmm. So and the leading touchdown getter um, was Isaiah Zuber. So I would have liked him if Bailey Gaither would have played all ten games. I think he would have been a potential. For this list, Derek Dillon I liked as well. Um, but, yeah. Most of the guys I liked, though. Especially the the defense, the defensive guys. Okay. NFL news here. The uh, key dates for the 2023 league year were announced. Uh, so... February 21st through March 7th, that is your franchise and transition tag window. Uh, We have the new league year beginning on March 15th. Free agency begins March 15th, 4 p.m. Eastern 2023. And then the uh, draft dates were announced April 27th through the 29th uh, is your 2023 NFL draft held in Kansas City. That's going to be a party. <laughs> yep. Love to see the Midwest get some love there. Hey, we can make the drive down. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, some stuff here. I just call it stuff because I don't know what else to call it. The Commanders, owner Dan Snyder. He declined an invitation to testify at uh, the hearings tomorrow, June 22nd, congressional hearing. Uh, Topic is the commanders um, essentially cooking the books and and misrepresenting their official revenue numbers. Uh, 
So my thing is, why? Why would you? Why would you possibly decline? Like it just makes you look more guilty. I don't. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's a tough ask to um, get in the mind of Dan Schneider. Period. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, there's not much. Uh, there's no guessing his motives for really anything, uh, decisions being made. And I just don't know how he's still been in the league this much. I mean, the commanders have been kind of like a, like a sideshow, like for the past, like five years now, maybe more. Yeah. It's just, uh, I don't know. I think this is finally, you know, the third strike, though, because the minute you start messing with the league's money, you know, that's right. kind of the. Well, the next the next straw is just to uh, get him out and then move him to St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's because because Roger Goodell accepted he Roger Goodell is going to speak tomorrow at the congressional hearings because um, Roger has nothing to hide. He's not the one that fudged the numbers. So, right. I mean, he's going to be like, yeah, Dan Snyder sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the hard thing. You need, uh, you need, I don't remember if it's unanimous or, or three quarters uh, vote to uh, expel an owner and mm-hmm. uh, force them to sell a team. I believe it's three quarters. Um, but that's the thing is there, you know, 24 owners that are willing to put their cells out there. That's a lot of, of owners to, to take down another one. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of these guys are buddy, buddy with each other. Um, but I mean, at the same time, you know, there's always like, you know, protect the shield and I mean, protect the shields, just, uh, you know, code for (laughs) protect our money, (laughs) protect our image to protect our wallets. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, you know, buddy, buddy's all good until then you're, (laughs) You're hurting the league image and then in turn hurting my finances. And then I, I think I think you're going to see him on the way out. There, There's just only so many times you can be in the headlines negatively to where it's like, all right, we got to <laughs> we got to do something about it. Well, I think it's funny because like people have been calling for Dan Snyder to get nixed for years. Yeah, hasn't happened. So we'll see if this is finally it or not. But uh, we gotta wait. We'll see uh, if there's anything that comes out from the hearings tomorrow. Um. Also, other stuff. Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson's situation may have gotten a little bit clearer. Um, his, see, I kept getting confused because 
It was the lawyer of the women, right, that put the statement out. Because <laughs> some tweets I saw, they said Deshaun Watson's lawyer put this out. <laughs> but then I was Not like, it. I read the statement and I was like, he's talking yeah. about the one woman as a hero and being the the woman that propelled the entire uh, 24 lawsuits together um, mm-hmm. as a hero. And I was like, why would a defense lawyer say that about a plaintiff? Yeah, <laughs> so, right. I kept getting confused on, on whose lawyer. But, so we're, we're saying, it, the lawyer for the 24 women who were suing Deshaun Watson for sexual misconduct uh, 20 of the 24 women have now settled with Deshaun. Um, financial figures will not be released, they said. Uh, mm-hmm. But they are going to continue to trial, I believe, with the other four women, including, like we said, like I mentioned, the woman who uh, started it all. Um, I, I, can, mm-hmm. uh, I don't have her name... Ashley Solis, I think, is her name. Let me just double-check that. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. She is is one of the four that will continue on uh, with the the trial process. But the NFL, uh, they said, in no way does this change Deshaun's situation in their eyes and what they are looking at as a potential suspension. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because everyone on Twitter is a uh, legal expert on this <laughs> in their mind. Um, I, I see a lot of people saying, you know, he's innocent and that the fact that these women settled is like a money grab. But the way I see it, if this was about clearing his name, like you wouldn't settle. Yeah even in a civil um, trial, even if it's not, you know, a criminal trial. So in my eyes, I mean, it's hush money. Like, it's, you know, it's... I, I try to put it in perspective, like, if if you were accused of something by somebody and you knew you didn't do it and it was about clearing your name, you wouldn't settle, you know? Right. Um, you wouldn't pay money to that person <laughs> to just end the legal battle. So I I think that I think that the NFL saying like this doesn't change a whole lot, I, I think is kind of par for the course. Um, I don't think it should change a lot about how we view the fact that it's twenty four women. Um yeah, it's just it, and the fact that he's still practicing, um, and that we still haven't gotten a any news of a suspension is just very interesting to me. Yeah, I I think that uh, in terms of twenty of twenty four settling. In my mind, that just says there wasn't enough evidence. I mean, that's, in my mind, I'm thinking 
how could you really have evidence? Uh, depending on when some of these things occurred, because uh, I, I don't think I have ever heard of, or wait, what was the, it was 66 over... 66, yeah, over like a, t- a two-year period, I think it was. Okay, so that's not that far back. But still, you know, as as bad as what was reported that he did, um, how can you... Where where could you get evidence? That's what I'm. Yeah, I, I feel get what like you're it's saying, hard yeah. to it's it would be very hard to get that physical evidence specifically. Uh-huh. Right. Um. And you know that that's what I think is why twenty of the twenty four settled because their you know their lawyers are probably like, look, this is what we found in discovery. Right. And without that hard evidence, it's going to be very difficult to win at trial. We should get our money while we can. So that's that's my thinking, anyways, of why they yeah. So yeah, and I think that's a good point. Is like there's so many levels to this from a legal perspective, and. You know, legality and morality don't always coincide. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point um, to make. And like you said, like, sometimes you just don't have enough evidence and even your t- testimonies, you know, it's just not going to be enough. Um, so I completely agree with all that. And just I think kind of what I'd like to address is that you see a bunch of people on socials saying, you know, <laughs> like, innocent, like what is innocent until proven guilty, not exist anymore, stuff like that. And one that doesn't really apply to here. And two legality, legal courts and the court of public opinion are two completely different things. Mm-hmm. And everyone is completely entitled to their own opinion of it. Um, you know, and it's just tough for me to think, you know, 24 win. Like, that's just such an astronomical number to me. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's like you said, you know, I, I think it's as simple as kind of how you put it and that it doesn't really change things. If you think Deshaun's innocent, you're going to continue to think he's innocent. If you think he's guilty, you're going to continue to think he's guilty. It's just interesting to see how the league is going to interpret it themselves. Yeah, and that's the last thing I think we need to cover with this is... I don't know anything about dates and what what has happened in the legal process with this, but... I know the le- I know the courts move slow. Uh, mm-hmm. That's one thing I do know, and I I mean I haven't actually gone looking for it, but if there is anywhere out there on when like a a trial date is, if they're getting tried together, 
um, which I believe they wouldn't be because it's not a class action suit. So right. uh, you're looking at four separate trials. So that could take a lot, a lot longer. I mean, yep. <laughs> and that's why when you said about the NFL, like how really can the NFL continue to wait? Right. Because yep. they wait till after each verdict is brought down. I mean, we're going to be halfway through the season. <laughs> like, right. So that's what I, I think the NFL needs to, for lack of better words, hurry up and yeah. get something out there uh, before we're into training camp and preseason. Yep. Okay, moving on to Thursday night football. We got some clarity on uh, the the team, the uh, the pregame, halftime, and postgame team here. So, free agent corner Richard Sherman and uh, quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, they officially signed deals with Amazon Prime Video, be a part of the TNF coverage. Those two are going to be joined with Hall of Fame tight end Tony Gonzalez. Uh, like I said, pregame, uh, halftime, and postgame shows for those three together. Uh, I would believe, I would have to think there's a, a fourth member that will be added. You know, there's always a non-football person in there mm-hmm. that they a add mediator. <laughs> to, uh, yeah, to be the host of the show. Um, like we see with Rich Eisen, Colleen Wolf is that person, or, or was that person last year on the Thursday night games. Um, I would like to see Colleen back again. Uh, she's a Philly girl. That's, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I would think there'd be a fourth person. I think that's going to be pretty good though. Uh, Sherm, yeah. Tony Gonzalez, and I mean, Fitzy is just going to be fantastic. Fitzy. Yeah, I love that group. I love all three of those guys for like different reasons, which is why I think it's a great group. Um, you know, I love Tony Gonzalez on uh, he's on Fox, right? He's been doing yeah. it. So he's got some experience. Fitzy just has an amazing personality, and I think Sherman's gonna bring that kind of authentic fire. Yeah. And I mean, one of the great defensive minds in football, to be honest, one of the best cornerbacks the last 12 years so yeah i think that's a good squad i think sherman's gonna be the like you said fire that uh i think of like like mjd is a lot on nfl network yeah (laughs) except sherman's just uh, a lot taller (laughs) taller. (laughs) you need at least one uh but yeah that is your tnf crew there uh and you know we already know the uh game broadcasters herbie and al michaels are your thursday night color analysts so that is uh quite a career they have for amazon mm-hmm. gotta wait till close to the season to get my membership yeah well and they gotta start putting some good games together for that thursday night matchup well we have the schedule don't we we i don't i don't know what the uh yeah we do i just mean historically you know thursday night 
<laughs> Talking Not been product. a treasure trove of good matchups. Talking product. I got you. Mm. Um, okay. Next thing on the dock here, the Saints. We are in uh, uni reveal season. Uh, mm-hmm. So the Saints, they announced their first ever black helmet. Uh, traditionally... They have worn the gold with the fleur-de-lis on it. Um, But they will introduce a black helmet this year. And trying to get a uh, picture here. Well, we'll get a couple pictures anyways here. We'll... We'll, uh, we'll show this one. So here it is. Uh, this is Cam Jordan's helmet. And as you can see, we have the black. I'll go to the side view first, I guess. So, it, it, I mean, it, it's the same helmet. It's just flipped colors. It's black mm-hmm. base with the... I don't know if you call it gold. It's, it's, more, it's like tan gold. I, I don't know. I don't know what the Saints' official colors are. Black and what? Because <laughs> it's it's not like yellow gold like the Steelers call theirs gold. Mm. But I don't know. Whatever color, tan, gold, whatever it is. Um, yeah, so that's the uh, initial look on the side there. And then I guess this one actually is pretty decent. Um, I like the side view better, though. Yeah. If I can find it again. Or the uh, front and back, I mean. Yeah, so uh, you look at in here, we have tiny little fleur-de-lis patterns. Uh, You got the numbers. And really, that's all it is. It's just this, like, stripe kind of thing with the fleur-de-lis in there. Um, That's all it is. And then they just flip the colors of the helmet and the, the logo. So it's really not that special, but I just I just don't know how it's gonna look. Um, yeah. Because I was thinking I was like they can't they can't wear their black jerseys. I don't I don't like <clears> the, <throat> the black helmet and black uh, jersey. I just maybe it will look okay. I don't think it will look good though. I kind of <laughs> like it. Not gonna. I don't. So I don't love the stripe, but I like the inverted colors. Um, I think though, kind of like you said, I think you kind of have to like wait to see like how it looks on the field. Like I've come to learn that like as intricate as these Jersey reveals (laughs) kind (laughs) of are, you don't really know until you see it on the field. Like when the Bengals released their new, new kind of look, I hated it, but then I saw it kind of on the field and it's a really nice clean look. So we'll see, but I tweeted out, I was like, you know, the getting rid of the one helmet rule might be one of the best moves the NFL has done in like years, just for fun. Like, just it's just another added dimension that's gonna be good for the league. So I'm excited. I'm excited to hopefully see more of these kind of moves as the summer goes on. Yeah, it was just weird because. This is the first time I'm seeing this picture. All they released was the... There was like a four... 
the four thing of helmets. And I was like, <laughs> like you know, most teams release, you know, it with other stuff together. So, like we were talking about, you can see what yeah. it looks like. But yeah, they just released the helmet and nothing else. I mean, mm. from the I like this from the back, but when I looked at this one, I didn't like it too much with the black and white. I think if they're gonna wear this, they should go with their gold jerseys mm. uh, that they have. Because I mean, when you look at this, like their normal jerseys with their throwback white ones, I think that looks clean. But mm-hmm. I just I I have a hard time seeing the black jersey black helmet thing together <laughs> and mm-hmm. liking it. Uh, that's their normal look. So when you put this right there, I don't know. Maybe it'll look all right, but we'll have to wait and see when they uh, debut it. I'm not sure which games or how many either, because uh, they put game with the S in parentheses. So it could be one game, could be more. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Browns announced some promotions. They uh, promoted Glenn Cook and Catherine Raichi, uh to assistant GM positions under Andrew Barry. Raichi is now the highest-ranking female football executive um and she has been rising. She was with the Eagles before she came with Andrew Barry to the Browns. Um, and, yeah, she is on, on the track. On the track to being a GM. Yeah. Yeah, it's good for the league. It's good yeah. for the league. And I can't say the first ever female GM because there was one before her. Uh, I just cannot remember her name. It was quite a while ago, and you have to look it up because <laughs> I can't. I, I cannot tell you her name right now. I, I can't remember it at all. Uh, but I believe it was with the Vikings. If I'm not, I'm probably wrong, but it's fine. Memorizing front office personnel is just <laughs> it's it's a tough <laughs> ask, anyways. So. Uh. All right, we got some fines. We love fines. <laughs> These are for coaches, though. Coaching fines here. Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy. He's fined a hundred thousand dollars and docked one OTA practice for twenty twenty three. They held practices that were deemed too physical for uh, NFL standards in uh, OTAs. So there's that one. Uh, Texans head coach Lovey Smith also fined. He was fined $50,000. Uh, they held prohibited one-on-one O-line, D-line drills during one of their OTA practices. Um, and then finally, Commanders head coach Ron Rivera fined $100,000 as well. And they lost two OTA practices for next season. Um, they had excessive contact in their practice drills as well. <laughs> yeah. I just... <laughs> I don't understand. Like, there's two sides of this in my brain that, like, are ever competing over this kind of thing. And one of it is, like, all right, I mean, it's, like, 
practice, practice, and like let coaches establish like the kind of physicality that they want their team. The other part of me is like, look, these guys are just like kind of getting into season shape. And like, if the league has to crack down on you for being too physical, like you're probably being too physical. It's not like the league wants to <laughs> to do that. You are likely doing something that the league is like, look, this is OTAs. Like, we're not trying to get guys down for the season before the season really even starts. So, Right. It's like, bro, we're in May. That's right. Like, that's when OTAs <laughs> occur. We're in May. <laughs> <laughs> we're like a month after the draft guys like we don't need to be hitting too hard right now <laughs> yeah. okay um a couple guys that uh are reporting and not reporting so cowboys franchised tight end dalton schultz he did show up for mini camp he will be participating in mini camp uh i'm trying to figure out what tense i should be saying these things in because uh i don't know what the mini camp schedule is for each team and i feel like people kept saying yeah this guy's gonna show up this guy's gonna show up this guy's not and it's like when is mini camp is mini camp like coming up this weekend (laughs) or like is it this week i i have no clue but um yeah dalton schultz is gonna be there at mini camp or was there at mini camp if it already happened (laughs) Uh, the opposite for Bears pass rusher Robert Quinn, not expected to be at minicamp. Uh, this was a weird one. He's just working out on his own, they said. So, I don't know if he is excused or not, but minicamp is mandatory, so. Mm. That is interesting, and it's interesting even more because it's a new coaching staff in there. So, it's kind of a peek into how that coaching staff wants to operate yeah and i'm not sure he fits um switching Mm. back the bears are switching back to a 4-3 in matty refluce's defense um quinn's been in a 3-4 most of his career outside of his rams days uh the retirements we got a couple Colts, safety, Kari Willis. This was a surprising one. He has retired after just three seasons in the NFL. Um, I feel like the way that I put it on mine is is not the greatest. Uh, but I like it. <laughs> he, is the, he is devoting uh, his post-football life to um, the ministry. Uh, that's how I, that's how someone oh, else put it. that's how someone else put it. That's why I'm gonna take it from them. Uh, so, <laughs> you can read mine if you want. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Devoting rest of life to spreading the holy gospel. Proselytizing. That's another one. I like to break that out. When I can. That's kind of how he put it in his uh, yeah. in his retirement letter post. Yeah, but it's a it's a but, pretty big blow to the Colts secondary. Um, they're gonna ask Nick Cross to step up real quick in his mm-hmm. rookie season. Yeah, 
Yep. And I mean, like we we talked about, they lost Rocky Sin too. So their front seven's really good, but that secondary has some question marks for sure. Is their front seven good though? They have question marks at the second level as well. I mean Darius Leonard coming off ankle surgery and then he had back surgery just last month. That's fair. I mean Injuries are always a part of the game, though. I feel like talent-wise, I mean, yeah, I think they're set. All right. And the bigger retirement here. Buccaneers tight end Rob Gronkowski. We haven't heard anything from him. Entire offseason. I feel like it's the longest Gronk has gone without talking or making any yeah. major statements. <laughs> or being on WWE or something. <laughs> yeah. But he is retired for the second time officially now. Um, Patriots, 2010 to 18. Uh, and then Tampa Bay, 20 to 21. Uh, four time Super Bowl champ. Won Super Bowls 49, 51, and 53 with the Patriots. Super Bowl 55 with the Bucks. Four-time first-team All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler. Uh, he was the 2014 AP Comeback Player of the Year. He was also a part of the Pro Football Hall of Fame All-2010s team and the NFL's 100th Anniversary All-Time team. Um, most touchdowns in a season by a tight end. Uh, I was talking, telling Logan about this before the show. I'm not sure if it's 18 or 17. Field Yates put out a post with that on it, and it's at 18. Uh, Pro Football Reference has him at 17 touchdowns. This was in 2011 season. So not sure which one is right, but 17 and a half sounds good. <laughs> um, and then he also has the most 100-yard games by a tight end ever uh, with 100. 100 100-yard games. Um for him, which doesn't also that also does not compute either, um, because the stats pro reference says unless it includes playoff. If it includes playoff games, I can see that counting because I only wrote down his uh, regular season stats. Mm. But uh, regular season wise, six hundred twenty one receptions, nine thousand eight. Uh, 286 yards and 92 touchdowns. Uh, I think it was it was never about the yards for Gronk or the receptions. He just scored. That's all he did. Yeah. He was just a playmaker. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of weird. I I didn't like that people were putting it, but they were like, one post I saw. First ballot Hall of Fame, Rob Gronkowski has retired. Uh, I'm like, is he though? Is he first? Really? First you don't ballot? think he's first ballot? First ballot? Are you what? Oh, I 100% think he's first ballot. I mean, was he dominant? Yes. But uh, I mean, I'd have to look at what he had. To other tight ends, um, which I don't know if I can. 
So, Pro Football Reference has Hall of Fame monitor. They have him sixth among tight ends. Let me see if I can find... Who are the other six, or who are the other five, though? I'd have to look. Hold on. I wonder if... Does Pro Football Reference... There we go. Oh, see, they do it by just receptions. They don't do it by position. That's I don't like that. So we're gonna go to some no names, no name site. StatMuse, <laughs> StatMuse.com. <laughs> so, in terms of receiving yards, he is fifth all time among tight ends. Tony Gonzalez, Jason Witten, Antonio Gates, Shannon Sharp. Travis Kelsey will surpass him this season. <laughs> mm. He's only 280 yards above Travis Kelsey. Uh, so there's that. Like I said, their receptions were very low. 621. Uh, he is... 10th in receptions among tight ends. Uh, Tony Gonzalez, Jason Witten, Antonio Gates, Shannon Sharp, Greg Olson, Jimmy Graham, Travis Kelsey, Ozzie Newsome, and even Zach Ertz are above him. Um, and then touchdowns, he's third. So, like I said, that is what where he gets that. Touchdowns, he's third behind Gates and Gonzalez. So, yeah, I mean, he's top 10 in all in three major categories in the three that matter. But I just, I don't know. I don't know about first ballot. Because you're thinking of, okay, so we're in 2022. That means 2027 is going to be his first opportunity. Uh, or I guess... No, I guess it'd be 2026 because it's five years from their last season. Mm. So 2026 would be the first year that he would be eligible. And, I mean, granted, I don't know. I don't know if there's anywhere out there that you can... Does anywhere have like <laughs> that's what we 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 should make that Pro Football Hall of Fame projector by year <laughs> by year that's what that's what I want to know um, do your own simulations with the votes I guess I guess here we go um so oh so they are saying twenty twenty seven for guys. So it, it's 2027, right? Because they have on this website, they have guys that just retired this year. 2027 would be their first year, right? Mm -hmm. 2027, you're looking at Big Ben, who is in right away. Andrew Whitworth. Got a good shot to go in right away. Uh, Alex Mack, I don't think it's in right away. 
Eric Weddle, I don't think, gets in right away. So there are two spots, anyways, that uh, I think, one, definitely, Ben's going in first, right away. Whitworth, I think, has a good shot. But obviously, we have other guys that, you know, won't make it. And then we have all the older guys, too, that are still considered, uh, you know, not seniors yet. So they're, they can't get into that senior consideration. But we got guys 2026 eligible. Drew Brees, we know he's in right away. But then you have Larry Fitzgerald. Jason Witten is going to go in before. Uh, he's elig- He's one year before eligible for Gronk. Frank Gore. Greg Olson is eligible in 2026. He has some better stats than Gronk does. Phillip Rivers. Um, I'm not going to say some of the other guys because I don't think they're going to get in. Uh, Edelman, Thomas Davis. Thomas Davis eventually probably, but... Uh, why why do they have Mikey Potty on here? Uh, and then, you know, LaShawn McCoy. Uh, Marquise Pouncey, he's eligible in 2026. And then, uh, you know, 25, Terrell Suggs, Travis Frederick. Um, Ryan, wait, Ryan Khalil is eligible in 2025? I thought he was done a while ago. <laughs> uh, Eli is 2025. He's going in. Marshawn Lynch is 2025. Joe Staley, Earl Thomas, Marshall Yonda, Luke Keekley. Is that 2025? I think that's where we could see some players get pushed because that's a, that's, that's a good class. Keekly, Marshall Yonda, Earl Thomas, Joe Staley, Marshawn Lynch, Eli, Darren Sproles, Terrell Suggs. Uh, not sure about Demarius Thomas. We had that discussion before. Um, uh, 2024 isn't that great, but we do have Julius Peppers, Antonio Gates, uh, hello, Nada. I think uh, there's an interesting case to be made for Mr. Brandon Marshall. Mm-hmm. Uh, 23 next year. Uh, we have Chris Johnson. Uh, 23 doesn't look that great. James Harrison. You want your boy Coon to get in. <laughs> hey, look, man. <laughs> John Coon, greatest fullback ever. <laughs> pound for pound. You put him in the... You stack him up with the other fullbacks. Put him, put him side by side to Moose Johnson. <laughs> uh, but yeah, 23, we got Darrell Rivas. Um, Dwight Franey. Jari Evans, I think, has a good shot. And then Joe Thomas. So, yeah, I mean, those guys combined with the older guys that have been waiting for a while. Um, you look at Robert Mathis, 
uh, Mario, uh, Mario Williams, but Steve Smith Sr., Nick Mangold, Andre Johnson, who's been a finalist, Demarcus Ware, who's been a finalist. Um, you look at other guys, Jared Allen, two-time finalist. Reggie Wayne, three-time finalist. He got. Did he get in this? I don't. I don't know if this updated for the class this year. Uh, Patrick Willis, one-time finalist. Got other guys. Jordan Gross, I think, was pretty good. Um, <clears throat> Asante Samuel. Vontae Leach. Sean Merriman. Jeff Saturday, I think, deserves a shot. Rondé Barber, two-time finalist. Mm. Chad Johnson, I think, has a good shot. Heinz Ward. Let's see, who else we got? Uh, Javon Curse, potentially. Mm. Jamal Lewis. He's not like all time, but. Tory Holt, three time finalist. Mm. Rodney Harrison. Lorenzo Neal. Willie Anderson, one time finalist. Sean Alexander, people don't know it, dude. Sean Alexander actually has fantastic career numbers. Uh, Zach Thomas, three-time finalist there. Steve McNair. Priest Holmes. Tiki Barber. Rod Smith. Uh, Mike Allstott. Jimmy Smith. See, but I'm taking Gronk over at least half these guys. Eddie George. Darren Woodson. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of guys that like have been waiting, and I feel like we 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 never see like because the max is. Eight, but that includes one senior and one contributor. So your max is six modern era guys. And I, I don't think we've seen six that are like very modern, you know, like nine, like 2000s and up guys. Mm-hmm. All six of them. So. Yeah, I, I just think it's there's gonna be too many guys that are there. Yeah, to be to be third in tight end touchdowns, cool. But he just the receptions thing was a big knock for me, being only tenth, and he is only fifth in yards in terms of tight ends. When we 
didn't really see the tight end position tick up until the 2000s in terms of receiving? I think that when you factor in his physicality, what he brought in the run game, how important he was to those Patriots teams, I mean, he was just a matchup nightmare. Like, you you couldn't put a small... I, I think that also kind of what he has helped develop the tight end position as... Um, I think you, I, I, you have to put him in the conversation as one of the best tight ends ever. I'm not saying I that just, he isn't. No, I know. I know you're, you're arguing first. the first ballot yeah. hype. I think that when you just kind of take it all together, I think he belongs in that conversation. Because I'm not putting that many people at the tight end over him. And I think what he brought to the team and also kind of the story of the NFL from whenever he was drafted, like 2010 to 2021-ish, I think he's I think he's definitely in the conversation for that first ballot. I would I'd probably agree. He's he may end up being a finalist that year, but I just do not think. Like I said, there's there's always that that effect of well, this guy's been waiting for so long, and then it's like, yeah, we'll put him in this year. I feel like one one of those kind of guys sneaks in every couple of years. Um, and like I said, with one, maybe two out of the six possible modern spots already locked with Roethlisberger and Whitworth potentially getting the other one leaves only four spots. Granted, that's kind of a lot, but they don't have to put six in. They can put less. They can put, uh, I think the minimum is five total. So they could put three uh, modern era guys in if they wanted to. So, but yeah, uh, it was funny. Uh, Drew Rosenhaus, his agent, he said it, it wouldn't surprise him if Tom calls him up during the season to come back and Rob <laughs> answers. Uh, so, it wouldn't surprise me if he's doing this just to get out of training camp. And then he signs week one. <laughs> yeah, it said at the end of the quote, it said, I wouldn't be surprised if Rob comes back during the season or next season. Mm. He's talking about 2023. I mean, he did it before. He skipped 2019 and came back with the Bucks in 2020. Mm. So, he's capable of it anyways. But, let's move on. We've been dragging along here. For quite a while. Uh, Giants linebacker Justin Hilliard suspended the first two games of the season for PEDs. Good special teams player for them. And depth linebacker. The Steelers 
got some business done. They signed safety Minka Fitzpatrick, four years, $73.6 million. Uh, extension, $36 million guaranteed. If you're, uh, if you're Mr. Bates in Cincinnati, you're loving it. And there was another one, too. Who was the other safety that's looking to get paid right now? I thought there was one other guy. Um, oh, uh, yeah. Who is it? Jordan Poyer's looking to get paid in Buffalo, but I, he was another guy I was thinking about. There was another one. Regardless, nice deal. Steelers had to get it done. They got it done, locked him up. Now they can focus all their efforts to Deontay Johnson. Hmm. I was kind of surprised about the guaranteed money. Uh, only half of the deal is guaranteed. But that's what the Steelers do. They guarantee your first two years, and that's it. Way to do it. Uh, the Patriots got some receiver help. They signed Saints wide receiver Lil' Jordan Humphrey to a one-year deal. See if he can crack the roster or not i mean why wouldn't he be able to <laughs> considering what the patriots have receiver outside of Devonte parker and jacoby yeah. myers i mean let's see. i mean they have a lot of volume right like and they drafted um taekwon thornton but Uh, the Eagles, I love this. I love both my two team signings. Uh, the Eagles signed 49er safety Jaquiski Tart to a one-year deal. Love it. Uh, we needed to get some safety help after Rodney McLeod was let to go to Indianapolis. Um, you know, they, they needed some help behind... Kayvon Wallace and Anthony Harris. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Squisty Tart was a guy I was hoping for my Packers as kind of a third safety sub package depth guy. But uh, the Steelers they hosted Bengals defense tackle Larry Ogunjobi for a visit, and they signed him today. Uh, so quick turnaround for Larry. Visited the Jets last week, but Pittsburgh didn't let him leave. Uh, I think it's a great deal for them. Um, a guy that had, what was it, seven sacks last year for Cincinnati. Um, comes, stays in the division, and fills a need with the Stephon mm -hmm. Tewitt retirement. Uh, it allows DeMarvin Leal to develop more um, and not have to have a, a massive load in his first year. And then also, defensive line-wise, the Bears. They signed Falcons nose tackle Mike Pinnell. Um, I didn't even know he was on the Falcons last year. <laughs> to be honest, I haven't heard from him in, in a little bit. 
Um, he's not even close to what he was when he played for Green Bay. So, yeah. But he's back in the division. He gets to play against the Packers. <laughs> I'm not that worried. <laughs> Elkton. Elkton's scared, I think. I think Elkton's scared, bro. <laughs> Uh, the Lions, they signed former Packers wide receiver Devin Funches. Uh, he's going to switch to tight end, give them some help behind TJ Hawkinson there. Yeah, one of my uh, delusional uh, friends in my fantasy football league thought that that was going to be our secret, uh, secret weapon, bringing back Devin Funches to the roster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's now a tight end. Yeah. So, and he also will get to play against the Packers. <laughs> Again, I'm not sweating it a whole lot. <laughs> uh, someone who will not be playing against the Packers, at least right now, anyways. The Bears, in order to make room on the roster for Mike Pinnell, they uh, they released linebacker Jeremiah Talchu. The only reason I put that on. I thought that was a noticeable move. Atalchu is pretty decent uh, depth edge rusher. If you can get him, notably when he was with the Chargers, um, had his best seasons there. But um, anyone in a 3-4 that needs some depth outside linebacker help, definitely an option. Okay, we are into the eighth round, second to last division here. The AFC North, I got my Steelers stuff on, black and gold background, so we're living it up. Starting off, uh, Ravens, 14th overall, they took safety Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame. Steelers were up next, they took quarterback Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh, number 20. Ravens got uh, back in the first round with the Marquise Brown trade, and they drafted center Tyler Linderbaum out of Iowa, 25th overall. The Bengals finished up in the first round, safety Daxton Hill, Michigan, 31st overall. And the Browns, because of the Deshaun Watson trade, they did not have a pick till the third round, uh, taking corner Martin Emerson, Mississippi State, 68th overall. So, let's start off with Baltimore. Like I said, Kyle Hamilton, Tyler Linderbaum in the first. Second round, edge rusher David Ojabo, Michigan, 45th overall. Third round, uh, defensive tackle Travis Jones, UConn, 76th. Uh, fourth round, six picks. I remember I was watching the draft and they were like, yeah, the Ravens have six picks today. In the fourth, they're like, they're not going to use them all. And then they did. <laughs> they used all six of their fourth-round selections. Offensive tackle Daniel Fa'alele, Minnesota, 110. Corner Jalen Armour Davis, Alabama, 119. Tight end Ch Charlie Kolar, Iowa State, number 128. Uh, punter Jordan Stout, Penn State, number 130. Tight end Isaiah Likely, Coastal Carolina, number 139. Uh, corner Demarius Williams, Houston. 
number 141. No fifth round pick. Uh, and then their last pick, their sixth round running back, Tyler Beatty, Missouri, number 196, no sevens. You go ahead because I'm going to go first with the Steelers next. Sounds good. And I'll keep it short because I'm not sure there's much else to say about this draft. It was the one that quite a lot of people loved, and I'm no different. Um, you know, their first four picks, they got guys who I felt were first-round talents. Uh, so you hit on those guys, um, and I think they're all system fits, too, um, at positions of need. So it really just is kind of crushing the draft in terms of strategy. Now, obviously, they have to develop these guys, but the Ravens are good at developing talent. Um, I especially like the Ojabo pick because he just feels like the next Ravens edge rusher who has those physical traits is a little raw, but they can develop him into a really quality starter. Um, the tight ends that they drafted in the mid rounds, their system uses a lot of tight end sets, multiple tight end sets. And I think they are going to use both of those guys uh, in different ways because they bring different things to the table. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I give it an A. I give this an A draft because they kind of just – Again, they got really good value, hit positions in need, and kind of just let the draft come to them. Yeah, I'm on the same page. I, It's always tough when <laughs> you're talking about your own division and <laughs> yeah. you, you like another team's draft, and you're like, damn, dude, like, they're going to be a lot better because of this. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the f- yeah. what do you say, the first five? First four. Uh, I like the first five. <laughs> well, I like the first, I liked the follow Lele pick, too. Yeah. I just said that the first four, to me, were first-round talents. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, the Ojabo thing, I mean, they're going to get him back in December, and, I mean, he might produce you know two or three sacks in your last four games and that's going to be good enough to propel him to a decent role in the playoffs uh not saying the Ravens are going to make the playoffs but (laughs) because Lamar Jackson is not an elite quarterback I love let me tell you I love Lewis Riddick I do I love him but I can't take him. Keep he keeps posting that Lamar deserves money, and I'm like, what do you mean? Like he does not. He's not an elite quarterback. He's not. We've seen what his peak is. He's he's not. But, anyways, back to the draft. So yeah, they got the Kyle Hamilton thing was weird. I thought though. They already had good safeties. Chuck Clark, they signed Marcus Williams in free agency. They had Brandon Stevens, uh, and then they also liked Geno Stone. They have Tony Jefferson, too. So I didn't really see a need, but, and no one will know except for the people in that draft room, but I kind of want to know if they were scrambling. 
after the Eagles traded up in front and took Jordan Davis, who we mocked to the Ravens a, a couple times. Um, I thought that was a perfect fit, but yeah. <laughs> it would have been interesting to know if they were like, crap, dude, like, they took our pick. <laughs> Uh, and they just went with the next best guy on their board. But, anyways, yeah, Kyle Hamilton was good. It was weird, though, too, with him where his value was because early on we heard, bro, this guy's a top five guy. He's going to go, he's going to be like the first defender off the board or, or whatever, the first. Defensive back off the board. He's top five. Locked. Then he goes through the draft process. Pre-draft process. Combine. Pro day. And it's like, dude, this guy's slow. His hips aren't good enough. And we're moving him down the board. So it may have scared some teams off. But they got good value, I thought. Uh, Linderbaum, love it. Center. For the next 10 years for them. Um, actually, yeah, okay. No, they do have a med center, okay. I couldn't remember if it was him or some one other, another person that, someone drafted some other person and they were like, yeah, he, he's going to play guard instead. Uh, but, yeah, Ojabo, I already mentioned him. Travis Jones, I mean, bro. Michael Pierce has been injured. And he's coming back from an injury. Yeah, I mean, I loved Travis Jones in the third round. I was hoping that maybe the the Steelers could have got him because we needed to get younger at nose with uh, Alu Alu getting a lot older now. Oh yeah, Falele got some insurance for Ronnie Stanley because he wasn't the same last year after coming off ankle injury the last two seasons. Um, so that's some insurance there. And then love Jordan Stout. They needed a new punter. Sam Cook retiring after 16 seasons. Um, Stout had the biggest leg of all the punters, I think. In the draft, he was also the first punter taken, I believe, right? Um, I think so. Yes. Yep. So they jumped on that early with uh, their fourth uh, fourth round pick. And then Beatty is, is whatever at, uh, at running back late. I wasn't too high on the corners. I didn't know too much about Demarion Williams out of Houston. Jalen Armour Davis, he's a slot guy, I believe. Um, the tight ends, though. That was my knock on this draft, was the tight ends. Um, one, I was like, okay, it makes sense. They need a better backup to Mark Andrews. One more pass I catching options for Lamar Jackson, even though he's not an elite throwing quarterback. <laughs> um, but then they went and got two. Uh, Isaiah Likely being the second one they drafted after Kolar. 
And I just I didn't understand because they're gonna keep Nick Boyle, their best blocking tight end that they have. And I was reading the Ravens fifty three man projection on ESPN today, and it said they're keeping four. And I was like, eh, I don't know. I mean, they're gonna have to. They drafted. <clears throat> I mean. If you're drafting guys in the fourth round, you're going to keep them. You know, sixth or seventh, I can see, you know, maybe cutting a guy, putting him in practice squad. But I feel like fifth and up, you have to keep him on the 53. Yeah. I mean, four, riding four tight ends isn't super uncommon, especially for a, a ground-dominant team like the Ravens. I know the Packers have done it in the past. Um and my thing with the two tight end selections is that they're two different guys completely. Um, Cole are more of your traditional inline mm-hmm. blocking tight end who gives you some receiving upside, runs red zone ability, and you know likely can be your kind of receiving mis- mismatch guy. Um, so that's why I didn't hate it, but I can understand in the mid rounds where like. I mean, if you're drafting your tight end four, you could probably wait until, like, the seventh for that. Yeah. My thing is they could have drafted uh, off-ball linebacker. Hmm. Was where I thought they needed help beside Patrick Queen. Um, they have a lot of guys. I loved what they did in uh, undrafted free agency at that spot to help. They got Jacoby McClain. Diego Fago and Josh Ross, all three fantastic options. McLean from Auburn, Fago from Navy, and uh, Justin Ross, or Josh Ross from Michigan. Um, so I really like that, but no receivers either was also a big issue for me. Their receiver room is absolutely terrible um, outside of Rashad Bateman. Now, I love Tylen Wallace. I was high on him last year coming out out of Oklahoma State. He didn't do much in his first year. But Devin DuVernay has not been... He's been a return guy most of his career. And Prochet, everyone, when he got drafted by the Ravens, they were like, bro, Prochet is the gem. He is the steal of this draft. And he hasn't done much. Uh, so those two with upgraded, uh, roles, we'll see. I think they got to sign a veteran at this point. Uh, I think I read on that projection, there's, uh, 15 career starts in their whole entire wide receiver room. And (laughs) I believe all of them are Bateman. So, yeah. yeah, I think the decision making tells you a lot about how they feel and trust Rashad Bateman. Whether that's deserved or not, we'll see. Um, I do think he can be a number one. I don't know if he can be a number one in 2022. Um, so, yeah, it will be interesting. Yeah, a lot of guys out there still Julio, T.Y. Hilton, and such. But yeah, I am I am going to go 
um, A minus. Yeah, talking myself through the the two knocks that I had, the double tight ends, and uh, the no receivers drafted. That uh, knocks me down a a little bit. For so, yeah. Okay, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I was absolutely ecstatic. If you go back, go to our archives, go to the special shows category, watch our first round coverage of the 2022 NFL Draft. Watch (laughs) what I did (laughs) whenever the Steelers were up and they selected Kenny Pickett. My lord, it was it was quite a fiasco. Um, but yes, round one, quarterback Kenny Pickett, Pittsburgh, twentieth overall. Round two, wide receiver George Pickens, Georgia, fifty-two. Uh, third round, D tackle Demarvin Leal, Texas A&M, eighty-four. Fourth round, wide receiver Calvin Austin, the third, Memphis, one thirty-eight. Didn't have a fifth round. Uh, sixth round, tight end Connor Hayward, Michigan State, two hundred eight. And then two seventh-rounders, linebacker Mark Robinson, Ole Miss, 225. And quarterback Chris Oladokun, South Dakota State, 241. Dude, I I mean, Kenny Pickett is is the dude. Uh, I mean, that they had to do it. They had all of the quarterbacks available. And everyone, all week... They were like, bro, Malik Willis to the Steelers. Whether they got a trade up for him or not, Malik Willis is going to Pittsburgh. And I was like, no. I want Kenny Pickett. He is the more pro-ready guy. Does he have lesser upside? Me. Does he have uh, four years, three or four years of starting experience at the Division One FBS level? Yes, he does, and he played in a Power Five conference. So, I love it. I think he is more mobile than what people think. Uh, as we saw in the bowl game, <laughs> the fake slide. Um, so he can run if he needs to. And, and be mobile and run the RPO stuff that Matt Canada wants to run. What, do I think he starts week one? Probably not. I mean, would I be shocked if he did? No. Uh, I think he can definitely beat out Mitch Trubisky uh, for the week one job. It's just getting the offense down um, and uh, showing, it, showing off what, he, what he's got. Uh, love George Pickens. Um, saw him many times when I was at Georgia. Um, I mean, he's a jump ball guy. He's big. And uh, I think he's going to fit in nicely with uh, Claypool and Deontay Johnson. I think it's very good that they got him and what he does well because it allows Deontay to slide back inside uh, where he's more potent is in the slot and that that'll put claypool and pickens on the outside and johnson in the slot i think that's a formidable trio there 
at receiver. The Calvin Austin thing, I was like, eh, it is whatever. Uh, he's going to be a good gadget guy for Canada to use. He's going to be available in the uh, return game. Again, I don't know why they don't list him in as a returner right now. They have Gunnar Olszewski, who they signed in free agency there. But it's okay. Uh, I think Calvin Austin could eventually be your return guy, whether he's on the practice squad this year or not. Um, DeMarvin Leal I thought was good. Um, he was a guy last year that was uh, hyped up very high and did not have the senior season that he thought he was going to at A&M. And then uh, the rest of them, Connor Hayward, it was interesting. I read the Steelers 53 projection, and Connor Hayward has been working out with the tight ends. And, you know, I listed him as fullback on our script because that's what he played at Michigan State, but he's a fullback tight end hybrid. And apparently there is going to be room on the roster for him and Derek Watt, which many people, including myself, did not originally think there would be. Um Mark Robinson, I didn't really notice him at Ole Miss too much. I noticed his teammate Chance Campbell more, who went undrafted, I believe. And then uh, Chris Oladokun, developmental quarterback, um, was decent at South Dakota State, but I don't think it was anything special. Yeah, so I I did like your Steelers draft. Um I especially like the wide receiver picks. Um, I think that for whatever reason, the Steelers are just really good at drafting and developing <laughs> wide receivers. And their room uh, already had two established good guys, but, I mean, they needed depth. They needed a wide receiver three, and they needed someone to replace James Washington. I think they did it with both, and I think – George Pickens is more than a wide receiver three. I think he can be a high-end wide receiver two. Um, and people don't realize, like, and the reason why I love George Pickens in the in the during the draft process is he separates really well mm-hmm. for his size. So he's a big-bodied receiver. He can do the jump ball stuff, but he's a smooth mover for how big he is. Um, and I liked that fit. Like DeMarvin Leal, I think he's a guy that's in the Steelers system, they can develop to be productive on that front. I don't think it matters for them that he's kind of a tweener. Um, I think they'll sort it out. Um, the only thing for me is Kenny Pickett, and here's why. It's not that about Kenny Pickett it's himself. It's how, interestingly, the draft played out. So Kenny Pickett was the first quarterback taken off the board at 20, right? 20 is, what is where the Steelers were taking. Yep. The next QB to go off wasn't until Desmond Ritter, right, at 73. So I read that one of two ways. One, the league was high on Kenny Pickett all along over the rest of the other QBs in the crop, as were the Steelers, which is why he went first overall and why the other guys slid. Or the league just wasn't high on this class at all, and the Steelers kind of reached for their guy. 
So only time will tell how that plays out, and we'll never know that because that's just each team probably has their perspective on how that went. And I think Kenny Pickett is a great fit for Pittsburgh, which is why, again, I still love this draft because not only do you have the really awesome tie with him going to Pitt, (laughs) which, you know, I always like that when that happens, like you get, you know, a Wisconsin guy going to Green Bay or what, what have you. But I think that you're absolutely right in that he was the most pro-ready quarterback. And this Steelers team is still ready to compete right now. They dragged Ben Roethlisberger to the playoffs (laughs) when he was not only past his prime, but probably should have retired. Um, Mike Tomlin, to me, is the greatest coach in the league. Uh, I think he just, his consistency, being able to win. Um, so again, yeah, I, I like the fit. It's just for me, how does the, the rest of the league view him? And uh, what are, what is the long-term upside with Kenny Pickett? But only time will tell with that. Um, and like I said, I think they surrounded him with good weapons in this draft. Um, the Steelers are a complete team, man. And I think that the only thing really that they really need to address is kind of the O-line a little bit. Um, yeah. But again, this is, this is one of the best divisions in football for a reason, because I feel like people are sleeping on the Steelers. And like I said, they were able to make the playoffs with a well past his prime big bet. So they got a couple of young guns in there with Trubisky and Pickett. I like it. I like their odds to repeat again in the playoffs, even if in a tough division. Yeah, and uh, my thing to to your point about Kenny Pickett, the Steelers knew Kenny Pickett better than any team in the league. So I think if if they didn't like what they saw day in and day out being in the same exact building Mm. I think they would have went in a different direction whether that be another position or another quarterback at 20 and the fact that they did go with Pickett I think that said something about uh, him him, uh, and the Steelers there but uh, yeah my knocks before we get to grades on this draft they, they did add some in, in free agency uh, to the O-line. Mason Cole, James Daniels comes over. They are solidified in two of the starting spots. Cole at center, Daniels at right guard. The left guard spot's open. Still not so sold on the tackles yet, but we'll see. They're both younger guys. Uh, Chuck Okorafor is on his second contract, though, so we'll see. Um... A couple other things that I didn't necessarily actually no there was just one just one other thing I didn't really like no running backs drafted um I thought that was a uh, that was not a good thing because yes Najee Harris is the dude 
they have drafted Benny Snell and Anthony McFarlane in the last two years, but they haven't been effective. Granted, last year, I know Najee, we saw it many times with Najee, it's just very tough to run behind in a subpar O-line. Mm-hmm. But Benny Snell has been on the his rookie year, he was on the team that had a good O-line. Um, and McFarlane wasn't. So, yeah, we'll see um, if they add any veterans or not. I don't know many that are out there that are decent at this point, but there's always cuts, and uh, we'll have to see. J.C. Treader is the only guy, unless I missed him signing somewhere, I'm shocked that J.C. Treader hasn't found a home yet. Yeah, uh, him, um, <laughs> Chris's guy, Eric Fisher, is still out <laughs> there. <laughs> um, I think that could be an option uh, in terms of tackle depth. But, um, yeah. Uh, I am biased, but I am going to give these Steelers a B plus. I'm in, I'm concurrence right there. I think that's a, and I think it's a solid B plus. Um, I really like their first four picks. Really like the fit. We kind of touched on it. Would have liked to see more O-line. Um, for sure, especially in the later rounds, because you never know when maybe one of those guys hits or you can develop them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I'm of the opinion you should always take some O-line in each draft just because it's such a, a valuable um, commodity. But like I said, love the fits, and I think it does help them compete right now. Another thing I forgot to mention uh, was outside linebacker. Um, no picks at that position either. Uh, might have been uh, a misread for them. Um, very thin behind Watt and Highsmith. Um, Tuska and Avery are the guys you're hoping work out. But, um... Luckily for them, like I said, I didn't know too many running backs that of our quality still available. There are guys at pass rusher still available. Justin Houston, JPP, um, guys like that that can give you, you know, five, six, seven sacks. So. Okay. Uh, the AFC champions, Cincinnati Bengals. First round, Daxon Hill, safety, Michigan, 31st. Second, corner, Cam Taylor, Britt, Nebraska, 60th. Third round, pass rusher, uh, edge, Zach Carter, Zachary Carter, Florida, number 95. Fourth round, guard, Cordell Volson, North Dakota State, number 136. Fifth round safety Tyson Anderson Toledo, uh, number one sixty six. Didn't have a sixth rounder, and then seventh round edge rusher uh, Jeffrey Gunter, Coastal Carolina two fifty two. You're up. 
I like this draft because the way I've been labeling it is the keep Eli Apple off the field at all costs <laughs> strategy. And I like it. You know, I like it. When you look at this Bengals team, they don't have a whole lot of holes except that that kind of secondary position. And I think that Daxon Hill, I know a lot of people have been kind of talking about him as like, he's a versatile enough guy where you can play him at quarterback. You can play him in the slot. You can play him at safety. You can kind of play him all over. Um, so I like that. And I like Camp Taylor Britt. And I think both of those guys combined will either hit enough to where they don't need to use Eli Apple, especially in high pressure situations. So I like that. Um, didn't like the Zachary Carter pick. Um, like I said, I'm not huge on kind of tweeners because they either have to gain weight or lose it. And the positions that they played at college, they're usually not going to play in the NFL um, because of their tweener status. And I kind of like some of the guys they have on the roster anyways, like Cam Sample, who they drafted out of Tulane last year. Um, so I, I thought they could have gotten better value there. But I like Cordell Bolson depth piece for that O-line that they have just continued to help renovate, um, which is a really scary proposition for a team that was so good um, in passing last year. So, liked that. Tyson Anderson also really liked that. Hyper-athlete. Um, you know, just throw a dart at that and, you know, even if he's only a special teamer who's hyper-athletic, like, he still provides value. Um, Jeffrey Gunter, I thought that's probably where he'd go. So it's kind of a wash. I'd give this kind of a solid B. Um, I like the strategy, which is why I'm giving it a B. Um, even if I think kind of Cam Taylor Britt was kind of a reach, in my opinion, even if I wasn't the highest on Daxton Hill, and part of that is because a lot of people in the Packers community wanted him and I did not want us to draft safety three <laughs> because I already like our secondary. Um, <laughs> and part of it's also because I just can't get rid of the mental image of the George Pickens highlight where he just absolutely buries Daxton Hill <laughs> in the run game on the boundary. Um, but, you know, I think he's a great fit for them. And like I said, I think it's, good that they addressed the uh, secondary yeah i i would probably go a little lower and b minus um i was not that high on daxton hill um he is listed as corner on the depth chart uh behind eli apple <laughs> eli is still slated in a starting spot right now uh opposite of chidobia wuzier but yeah, I, I I didn't know too much about Cam Taylor Britt, even being a Big Ten guy. Um, you know, that's Big Ten West, and I watch Penn State, so they play all the Big Ten East teams. So I didn't really get to see too much of Cam Taylor Britt or notice him. Hate the Zachary Carter thing. Um, when we were at the Combine, we were talking about the Combine. Zachary Carter was... He was... 
on the bottom of almost every testing score. Uh, so to go in the third round and use a premium pick on a guy that tested very, very poorly, I can't justify that. So I hate that selection. Um, Volson, yeah, I, I agree. He's, he's pretty good. Um, their guard tackle versatility, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I believe I think he played tackle at North Coast State. Yeah, he did. And I didn't know too much about Anderson. Uh, Jeffrey Gunter, though, he's my guy. I watched a lot of Coastal Carolina. Um, love Jeffrey Gunter. I don't know if he makes the roster or not because they're pretty uh, full at defensive end. But yeah, the the Zachary Carter thing too. Also, you were talking about tweener. I mean, they're listing him as the defensive end at two eighty five. Mm-hmm. I'm like, good lord. I, I already said he tested at the bottom of all the defensive right. ends. How is he going to be fast enough to get around right. the edge at two eighty five? Well, and and that's just it. Like when you're a tweener, you kind of have to be athletic because then it kind of suggests that you at least have the potential to be the exception to the rule, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you're kind of tweener and you're not a great athlete, like I just don't see the role for you. Yeah, I think my my B-minus knock was because of the Carter thing mostly. Um, But also there were, you know, I always like to look at uh, positions that I think they could have addressed in the later rounds. Um, and one was wide receiver. Now, people are probably like, what do you mean wide receiver? The Bengals have a great wide receiver core. But they don't. They have a great top three. Yeah. But <clears throat> four, five, and six, you don't have much. You have your return guy in Trent Taylor. Um, and then... Mike Thomas and Stanley Morgan. <laughs> mm. So, uh, you know, there there are guys that they have, though. Um, another coastal guy that I love, Javon Hiley. They signed him in undrafted free agency. They also have, uh, I know this, he was mentioned in the 53 projection at wide receiver, Kwame Lassiter uh, from Kansas, who was very good at Kansas. Um Two guys that I think could possibly make the roster as the fifth and sixth receivers. Um, they signed Puka Williams, too, who was not a receiver at Kansas. But he's listed as a receiver for the Bengals. <laughs> but he played running back at Kansas. <laughs> so um, we'll see if he can play receiver. Uh, I doubt puka makes the roster but yeah highly though and then last i think are your guys that need will need to step up unless they sign some other person um but see they're in a different situation the raven the ravens need like top three help um the Bengals, where they need depth you're not gonna sign a julio or ty hilton to be your fourth mm-hmm. receiver so i i'm not sure really where they were they're gonna look um, to get depth unless they wait until cuts. Yeah. I mean, I could see T.Y. maybe. 
he wants to chase the ring and like he's cool with being like kind of on a vet minimum thing. But yeah, you're exactly right. Like I think losing Auden Tate was kind of a bigger deal than people think because I mean he was that fourth guy to where you're like, okay, they're like set, set. Yeah. Like you don't even have to worry about depth at that point. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. Alrighty. And we are on to the Cleveland Browns. So uh we will we will factor in the Deshaun Watson <laughs> trade because they were these years picks and it happened this year. So, uh first round, second round, nothing because of Watson. Third round, three picks. Corner, Martin Emerson, Mississippi State, 68th. Uh, edge rusher, Alex Wright, UAB, 78th. Wide receiver, David Bell, Purdue, 99th. Fourth round, two picks. Uh, edge rusher, Perry and Winfrey, uh, Oklahoma, number 108. Actually, D-tackle, right? D-tackle, not edge. Um, mm-hmm. Kicker, Cade York, LSU, 124. Fifth round, running back Jerome Ford, Cincinnati, number 156. Sixth round, wide receiver Mike Woods, the second, Oklahoma, number 202. Two seventh rounders, Edge, Isaiah Thomas, Oklahoma, 223. And center Dawson Deaton, Texas Tech, 246. Really liked the Browns' uh, top picks. Third, fourth, and fifth. Um... Martin Emerson, pretty decent. Uh, he's going to give them an option in the slot, specifically. Um, 6'2", there, so pretty big. Uh, but, yeah, I like that. But the, the guys I really liked, Alex Wright, David Bell, love those two guys. Alex Wright, fantastic guy out of UAB. Um, Got to give... Miles Garrett and Janavian Clowney some help. They really were looking for a lot of depth after, you know, Curtis Weaver didn't really work out as a third-round pick two years ago. And then um, they they traded for Chase Winovich. So we'll see how he does in a 4-3. Going back to his Michigan days. Uh, 4-3 there. And David Bell. I mean, David Bell was probably one of the more underrated receivers in the draft. Ultra-productive at Purdue. I think he's going to be able to compliment Amari Cooper and uh, push Donovan Peoples-Jones for the wide receiver two spot um, because I'm not so sold on, on Peoples-Jones as the wide receiver two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Winfrey, I was... So, so on. Cade York, uh, pretty big leg. We'll see if it works out. Uh, I think the Browns saw what Evan McPherson did last year as a rookie, and they were like, we want one of those too. (laughs) (laughs) So they went and got a kicker in the fourth round. They've had kicker issues in the past. We'll see if uh, Cade can get it done. The Jerome Ford thing was questionable for me. I didn't know why they needed to do it. They just re-signed Dearness Johnson. 
uh, well, he was on his RFA tender at the draft, but after the draft, just a couple weeks ago, they re-signed him on a one-year deal. Um, and they also, they had someone else, too. They only go four deep on uh, ESPN's depth chart, but they also had another, oh, they, uh, do they list him at wide receiver? No. The guy they drafted last year, I, uh, I don't know why I can't think of his name right now. Demetrius Felton. Yep. Demetric Felton, yeah. Um, wide receiver, running back wide receiver hybrid. So, yeah, I just didn't see a need. I loved, I absolutely loved Jerome Ford, but um, mm-hmm. the fit was not great for me. And then I didn't really know too much about Woods or Deaton. Um, saw Isaiah Thomas a little bit at Oklahoma. Wasn't that impressed. Um, I liked his teammate uh, who was on the opposite side of him. Can't remember name right now. But Nick Benito. <laughs> Nick Benito, yeah. I, I loved Nick Benito a lot better uh, than I mm-hmm. Isaiah Thomas. So. Uh, I'll give my grade at the end. Alright. I thought this was... Um... I thought it was an okay draft. Um, you know, I, I agree with you. I kind of like the top picks. Um, you know, they definitely have some question marks in the secondary. I like Martin Emerson. Um, Alex Wright, other guy I was high on. Um, David Bell. David Bell is interesting because really productive. I agree. I think he became very underrated because of his combine performance. And my thing is, is like, he's still young. Like he still has time to become more athletic and you get him in a room um, and on a NFL plan, he can become more athletic. Size size two, six, two, two Oh five. Right. Yep. Yeah. So I, I like that fit too. And I actually really did like the Perry on Winfrey pick. Um, I was higher on Perry on Winfrey. I thought he fell a little more than I think he should have. I think he can be that guy who's not much of a run stuffer, but can create some havoc in and around the middle of that D-line. I think you put him on a D-line with Miles Garrett. I think that kind of guy can be useful. But the rest of the class, I just really didn't understand. The Jerome Ford pick, in my opinion, was just a waste. Um, And like you said, I really like Jerome Ford, too. But why are you drafting your running back four at best at pick 156? Like, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, you're talking about a guy who might not make the roster just because you have so much volume there. Um, yeah, don't know anything about Mike Woods, to be honest. I didn't come across him at all in the in the pre-draft process. Isaiah Thomas, I think he's fine there. But, yeah, also didn't know anything about Dawson Deaton. Um. Yeah, you didn't mention I mean, Cade York. Backing, what <laughs> you didn't mention, Cade York. You s- slapping yeah, the kicker. Sorry. Yeah, kickers matter too. Kickers <laughs> matter too. I mean, if he can be Evan McPherson, like, sure. Yeah, it was a great pick. But I mean, I don't know. I guess time will tell. Because Evan McPherson probably could have been worth more than where he was drafted at, with how impactful he was for the Bengals, but. 
Yeah, York went a whole round before him. Right, yeah. <laughs> but we'll see if Kate York can be that kind of yeah, impact think, guy. I think the difference you'll see in York versus McPherson, McPherson is uh, is very accurate. Um, where York has a bigger leg, can make longer kicks. Mm. Um, but we'll have to see if the accuracy is there uh, with the, yeah. the leg. Yeah. And for me, if we're factoring in the Deshaun Watson trade on June 21st, 2022, you know, it's it's not a great look. You know, it's just, it's, you're talking about trading away so much for a guy who as of right now, and I don't think this is going to happen, but the fact that it could tells me that it's way too much of a risk to have taken. You're trading so much for a guy who might not ever play a snap for your team. I don't think that's going to happen, obviously. I think that the NFL is going to choose talent over maybe whatever kind of image issues might be involved with keeping Deshaun Watson in the league. But the fact that it could happen is just tough. And the fact that you're going to probably miss him for at least a big enough portion of this year to where you're not going to be competitive. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Browns fans, Browns fans have kind of turned for me, at least in my interactions on Twitter, have kind of turned into one of the most delusional fan bases in (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in the league right now. Um, I understand that the Browns have a pretty talented roster, but there's way too many holes than they think they don't have to think that somehow Jacoby Prissett could lead this team to the playoffs. <laughs> Just not going to happen. Not going to happen in any way, shape, or form, especially in that division. So, for me, right now, I give it kind of a C plus because if I'm just looking at this draft itself, I liked what they did at the top. But when you factor in everything else they did kind of in the offseason, and again, we brought it up, I think not re-signing J.C. Treader. Like, mm-hmm. not, I would have rather paid J.C. Treader than Jadavian Clowney. Um especially to keep that really strong all line together. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about the Browns just in general right now. Yeah, they, they believe in, in Nick Harris at center, um, who they drafted. So they like him there. But I, I can't get my mind off of putting him at a B. Uh the Deshaun thing sways me up. Whether you, you know, whether he's out for six, eight, or, you know, the whole season, he's going to be back eventually. And whether that's in 2023 or earlier, mm. I think it's enough to have an elite guy. Granted, that's the thing like we don't know right what it was with Houston 
was it Deshaun that brought the Texans to the playoffs in a crap division under a crap head coach in Bill O'Brien? Or was it J.J. Watt, Jadavian Clowney, and the Texans' defense that was very good in uh, the 2010s? Yeah. Well, my thing is, too, is that, you know, Deshaun Watson, elite player, top five quarterback, the last time we saw him, if he gets suspended for a full year, it's going to be three seasons out of football. Yeah. Again, a major risk. Yeah, but I just I can't get my head off of B. Love Alex Wright. Love David Bell. Kate York is a plus pick for me. Uh, the Jerome Ford thing. If I, I keep mentioning these, uh, I, I might as well do a promo for ESPN at this point. The fifty-three man, <laughs> the fifty-three projection, uh, the write-up on the running backs for Cleveland was, yeah, Jerome Ford pick was questionable, but they put Jerome Ford in on the final fifty-three because. Their thought, I don't remember which, who wrote that one, because like, I think like every beat reporter for each team wrote their mm-hmm. team's thing. So, uh, whoever it is for ESPN for Cleveland, but um, the running backs though, they were like, well, yeah, it was weird because they just signed Dearness Johnson to another one year deal, but if a running back needy team. You know, training camp, they could trade Dearness Johnson for a decent price, I think, with what we've seen from Dearness Johnson. Mm-hmm. Fifth, sixth round pick you could possibly get for him. So, um, yeah, but with that potentially becoming the third running back um, and RB, I th- RB2 in the future, I think mm-hmm. Chubb will be a, life, a lifer on Cleveland. Kareem Hunt's going to be gone after the next couple of seasons. And we could see Jerome Ford be the RB2 eventually. Um, But yeah, B. The Deshaun Watson thing moves it up to a B for me with their other uh, first six picks there. So, that is the show for today. Uh, Next week... We will be recapping the USFL playoff games and uh, previewing the USFL championship. Uh, And then we will have our final segment of the eighth round with the AFC West. Apologies for the long show today. Had a lot of stuff to get through. Uh, adding another extra day too. We w- we wouldn't have had the Gronk thing until next week had we not added the extra day. But schedules are schedules. Uh, don't forget to follow us on all our social media at FAA Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. FAApodcast.com is our website. You can check us out here on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Uh, Thank you, Logan, and thank you all for watching. We will see you all next Monday. Peace.